I told you in the last message that I tend to be a news junkie, and I kind of really catch news that most people actually miss. And one of the things I watched not long ago, it was a press conference held by a group of lobbyists who were trying to lobby the state assembly in Sacramento, California, for new legislation. And it's to do with human rights. And you say, well, isn't everybody be happy about that? Yeah, but that human rights that they're asking for to be law is the human rights for plants, trees, rocks, rivers, and animals. In fact, this type of proposed legislation has very powerful supporters in the Obama White House. And the question that kept going through my mind that as I watched that press conference and about this lobbying group, nobody was asking, is this, you know, how in the world are the trees and the rivers and the animals and the rocks are going to sue their human rights violators? <laughs> Think about it. Well, in the last message, I told you that the source of all of our troubles, individually, troubles corporately, culturally, and yes, the source of our trouble even as Western civilization is when we do not have the godly perspective, the God perspective. When we don't have the God perspective, our view of mankind is messed up. Uh, when we don't have the God perspective, our view of nature is all messed up. Our view of the creation is all messed up. David said, when I consider the heavens… By the way, if you weren't here, we began Psalm 8 last message. I didn't go very far. It was only verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, and I'm going to finish the psalm today. Turn to Psalm 8 in your Bibles. And in verses 3 and 4, David said, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, and that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? You see, those dear people whose love for nature turned into worship of nature, those poor misguided people who think that we are part of the trees and the rocks and the rivers, these sad and pathetic people who look to the heaven and they worship the star and they order the life based on the aligning of the stars, uh, they are going to be in for a rude awakening in the day of judgment. Uh, but to be truthful, and God knows my heart, I genuinely ache for them. I genuinely have sorrow in my heart for them. I really do. I want to say to them, don't you understand that the fingers of God created all of nature? That the fingers of God placed the stars in the heavens? Don't you understand that the fingers of God molded each one of us in our mother's womb? Don't you see that bowing and groveling to the trees and the rocks insults the majesty of the Creator God? Don't you understand that the wrath of God is coming upon all of those who have chosen to worship nature, not the Creator of nature? And David, the shepherd boy who has spent many a night's in the open field, looking up at the stars as he watched over his flock. 
as he looked up to the magnificent stars and their orbits, that he was able to praise the maker of the stars, that he was able to see beyond the creation to the Creator God. When he saw the galaxies dancing in the sky, he was awed not by the stars, but by the majesty of the one who flung the stars in their orbit. And I can only imagine in my own mind, and I told you in the last message, that if we really, really begin to comprehend just a tiny part of what majesty of God, that you would realize how pathetic our worship is, how pathetic our praise to Him is. And I can imagine the, the intensity of David's praise when it's impacted by the knowledge of today. I can imagine the intensity of his praise had he known that the earth rotates on its axis approximately 1,000 miles per hour. If it is 100 miles per hour, our days and nights will be ten times longer than they are. Uh, Our planet would be alternating between uh, burning and freezing. Under such circumstances, vegetations would not exist. Uh, If the earth were as small as the moon, the power of gravity would be too weak to retain sufficient atmosphere for our need. If it was as large as Jupiter or Saturn or Uranus, extreme gravitation would make human movement impossible. If we are near the sun like Venus, the heat would be unbearable. If we are as far away as Mars… We would have snow and ice every night, even in the warmest section. If the ocean were half the present dimensions, we would receive only quarter of the rainfall that we get annually. If the ocean were one-eighth larger than it is now, our annual precipitation would increase fourfold, and the earth would have been a vast uninhabitable swamp. And God did it all with such precision for our purpose, for our life. The God who created all of this did it with such perfection. What is man that you mindful of him? Mindful of him, said the psalmist. How small we are in that vast cosmic setting. How astounding that the God who made it all, that the God who orders it all, that the God who controls it all should think of us. Uh, His primary objective is caring for humanity. His primary concern is humanity. Not only that, but verse 5, he says that you have crowned mankind, men and women, with the glory and honor. In other words, he's saying God cares more for people than planets, that He cares more for soul than the stars, that He is more interested in us than He is in the vast universe, that He is more interested and so caring about humanity. He cares about it so much that He left the glories of heaven and came to earth to die on a cross in order to save His elect from the destruction that is coming upon the earth. Sure, there were people in the time of David who worshipped the trees and the rocks, and and the Bible makes fun of them as dumb idols. And that is why God warned His people again and again and again when they came out of Egypt before they went into the promised land. He said, when you see the Canaanites bowing to idols, He said, you bow to me. But you know what's really tragic? I mean, we can say, yes, the Canaanites, and yes, in the Old Testament, yes. But here we are, 2,000 years 
after God became man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and affirmed the creation story over and over again. Sinful people still want to worship the creation and not the Creator. There are many churchgoers who, in trying to appear to be concerned about the environment, they've crossed the line. Instead of understanding and teaching the difference between stewardship of creation, they have worshipped the creation and become idolaters. And I dare say that so many of them, I know some of them, who have brought this idolatry into the church. There are many churches today that may have the cross on the steeple, but they're worshipping nature and creation instead of the Creator. The wrong perspective will mess us up every time. It really does. The wrong perspective, the godless perspective says that we need to redefine who we are as humans. The godly perspective says we've already been defined by God, that we are a very unique creation of His. The godless perspective says that man and nature are one and the same, but the God perspective says that only the God of power and might created us to be very different from the rest of the creation. The godless perspective says that nature has power in itself, but the godly perspective says that all the power and all the might belongs to the only God of power and might. Through the years… Many people have ignorantly tried to define man, ignoring the God perspective. Darwin, for example, taught that man is the most highly efficient animal ever emerged on the earth. What a degrading view of man. Freud, well, I know his name is Freud, but he's Freud. (laughs) He taught that man is undeveloped child. Karl Marx taught that man is merely an economic factor. Pascal taught that man is a reed, thinking reed, but a reed. Mark Twain apologized for mankind by explaining that God made man at the end of the week when he was tired. (laughs) But before all of them, Plato once defined man as a hairless bird, featherless bird to be exact. And he continued with that definition until one of his rival philosophers showed up at his doorstep with a plucked chicken. He said, behold, Plato's man. Then he changed his view, and he called man a being in search of a meaning. Ah, but the godly perspective in Psalm 8 says that man is crowned by God with glory and honor. The Bible said that God created men and women in His own image that God created men and women as rational being, as creation of God who have responsibility. Uh, God created men and women to reflect the glory of God. God created men and women like no other created being. That God has set men and women apart from all of His creation, so much so that He appointed mankind as His vice-regent on the earth. And talking about confusion… And all of the brainwashing that goes on into schools and colleges and universities, brainwashing with ideology that is clearly anti-God. Some time ago, I read a story about a young girl who was so confused about all of this, 
So she went to her mama, and she said, Mom, where did the human race came from? She said, well, it's simple. God created a man and a woman very uniquely, Adam and Eve, and they produced children, and that they produced children, and they produced children, and that's how the human race came about. Well, the little girl went back to her father, and she said, now, Daddy, where does the human race come from? And so her father said, well, you know, many years ago there were monkeys from which human evolved. The little girl was so confused. She didn't know which one is right, so went back to her mother again, and she said, now, Mom, how come you told me that God created us as special creatures and creation of His, but Dad said we are evolved from monkeys? Well, the mother thought for a minute, and then she said, it's very simple, really. I told you about my side of the family. (laughs) And your father told you about his. (laughs) Verse 5. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Some translations said angels. The great Thomas Aquinas explained this verse this way. He said, man is midway between angels in heaven and animals on the earth. He said, angels above men and the beasts and animals are below men. Angels have spirits but not bodies. Beasts have bodies but no spirits. But men and women have both spirit and body. Why? Why do you think God created mankind above all of His creation? Why did He set them apart? Because He wanted His creation of humanity, men and women, uh, to reflect Him, to be able to relate to Him. No other created being can relate to God, but men and women can. And thus, He gave them special privileges. What are some of these privileges? He gave them the privilege of being able to look up to God and obey God to be able to look up to God and imitate God, to be, have the privilege of looking up to God and worshiping God, to be the privilege of looking up to God and imitating the characteristics of God. What happened? Like these poor, misguided, lost people, they look down. They want to look down at the low creation and identify with it. You see, they want to look down to other created, lower created being and lower themselves to its level. They want to look down to a lower creation and behave like animals. They want to look down to a lower created being and they want to be like beasts, not like God. That's really the secret. That is really the bottom line. I want you to hear me right. The reason the evolutionists are so militant, the reason they are so intolerant and bigoted, and the reason they would fire any professor who teaches creationism, the reason they are so militant against God is because they want to cohabitate like animals and suppress the God conscious that we all have. It is because they want to be animal-like, not God-like. That's really the secret. That's the bottom line. Do all the mumbo-jumbo philosophical stuff that I know I used to be in, and and you're going to come up to that. That's the bottom line. When King Nebuchadnezzar turned his back on God, he became a beast. Listen 
to what he said in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verse 30, and compare that with the evolutionists, the godless perspective of today. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And then God snapped his fingers, and the great king became a beast grazing in the fields like animal. I told you in the last message that at least in my perspective, it is high noon where all of the forces of evil are lining up against the faithful remnant, the faithful servants of the living God. Forces like the humanists and the ACLU and and people without religion and the people for the American way, and all these forces are aligning together for one purpose, and that is to eliminate the Lord from society's collective conscience. They are not only identifying with animals, they are doing things that even animals would not do. See, God gave mankind dominion over His creation. But instead of identifying with our great God, people choose to identify with beasts. The book of Hebrews tells us that God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the fact that Hebrews said that He made Himself lower than angels. Now think about this. Angels have been serving Him in heaven, but He lowered Himself lower than angels for your sake and for my sake. That He came and bought salvation on the cross and redeemed us by shedding of His own blood for your sake and my sake. That God came to save us from our willful ignorance and rebellion for our sake. That God the Father sent God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven, so that He may fulfill Psalm 8. Not only that, but in Hebrews 2, 7 tells us, that is why after the resurrection and ascension, God has put everything in subjection to Jesus Christ. I know it doesn't look like it, but it is Everything, everything, everything is already in subjection to Jesus Christ, and only by faith can you see it. He has subjected everything to Him. Why? So that it becomes possible for men and women to identify with God. And the day is coming, beloved friends, and maybe sooner than they think, not what these false prophets were coming up with. We don't know the hour, but it may be coming sooner than we think, when those who have accepted God's gift of eternal life through Jesus alone, when those who have chosen to identify with the Creator, not with the creation, with those who have, ad- have chosen to identify, to worship, and to adore, and to obey the God of the creation, not the creation, for those who have loved Him with all of their hearts, with those who have loved Him more than they loved His creation, those who sought the blesser, not the blessing, they too are going to share in the inheritance of Jesus. They will share in what it means to have everything in subjection under our feet too because of Jesus. They too will fully comprehend one day what it means to have all things in subjection. 
when Jesus left the glories of the universe, the glories and the splendor of heaven to identify with us. He did this so that he may lift us up and redeem us. And then he went back to even greater glory and splendor. And one day, he will welcome all of his elect to that glory. I often use illustrations, and I I always confess to you that I have never once have seen an illustration that's perfect or, or even makes the point perfectly, but they do illustrate a point nonetheless. And a story I love to tell that illustrate in a very minute way what it means for the God of power and might to leave His splendor and come identify with us and go back to His glory, and that one day we're going to be with Him and share in that glory. It's the story of Queen Elizabeth II of England. At the break of World War II, she was a teenager, but as soon as she got a little older, she went to her father, King George VI, and she requested that he would give her permission to go and join the army so she can serve her people that way. Her father, of course, was very reluctant. She is the heir to the throne. But then finally, he allowed her to join what they call the Auxiliary Territorial Services as a private. There she had an uncommissioned officer above her who absolutely took delight in bossing her around and humiliating her. And it was, Private Windsor, do this. Private Windsor, do that. And Elizabeth always responded, Yes, Sergeant. Yes, Sergeant. She was made lower than an uncommissioned officer for the sake of her people. But then on February 6, 1952, her father died, and at that very moment she became the Queen of England. She was no longer Private Windsor. She was no longer being badgered by a small-minded, non-commissioned officer. She became Her Royal Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II. She occupied the place for which she was born. Never again will she be Private Windsor. See, that's why the Bible says that we know Jesus after the flesh no more. And in a far, 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 how many fars are this? Far greater way, our Lord Jesus Christ fought Satan on the cross and crushed his head. And now he's reigning and ruling in his glories in heaven, which was, is, and always will be his. And all of us who are his, All of us who worshipped Him alone, all of us who loved Him with all of our hearts, all of us who have received Him as our only Savior, all of us who have submitted to His authority as our only Lord, we too one day are going to reign and rule with Him. Amen. 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 What a great talk about identity. We have no identity crisis. We know who we are, and we know where we're going. But the question is, are you one of those people who's going to reign and rule with Him? Can you answer definitively today and say, yes, because of His shed blood, I know I'm going to be with Him for eternity. 
Beloved, there is no doubt about it. It doesn't matter how many false preachers and false teachers who do Satan's bidding by telling everybody that everyone is going to make it to heaven. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is Satan's modern deception that he's selling to many folks sitting in the pews. The Bible makes it very clear that all of nature worshipers, that all of creation worshipers, all of those tree huggers, all of those who have cried to trees and rocks instead of the God who made the trees, to them there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. To them there will be a fire that would not be quenched and worms that would not die. I don't say that with glee. I say it with sorrow in my heart. I don't want anybody to go there. But that's God's way, not mine. I didn't make the rules. He did. What choice will you make? If you've never made that choice, you can make it as we pray. Say, Lord Jesus, I might have been into religion. I might be in a denomination. I might be doing this. I might be. But really, today I receive you into my life as my only Savior. I'll submit to you as my only Lord. Come and reign and rule in me now so I can reign and rule with you then. Father, you are the searcher of every heart. And Jesus, you said, only those whom the Father draws to me will come. And I pray that you are drawing some, even at this very moment, as we are praying. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you believing and taking you at your word, trusting that you, when you come and reign and rule in our hearts now, we have been promised to reign and rule with you in heaven. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would receive newborn babes into the kingdom. And Father, I pray for those of us who have known you and walked with you, those who are discouraged and those who are in doubt, those who are anxious and fearful. Wake us up to our identity in you. Remind us that we are children of the King. Remind us that we belong to heaven. Remind us that we are here to serve you and be your ambassadors, reconciling the lost people to Christ. For we pray that in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.